wonder if he knows this is the house of the Lord. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I actually don't even know. Uh, I don't even know anything about it. I wore my sports shirt yesterday, and I had people uh, uh, stopping me going, what does that mean? And I was like, it means like, go team, right? So I, I just, I don't keep up with uh, a lot of the sports. I'm not against them. Um, if you're going to have a big football game, tell party, tell cooking thing, I'm going to be there. And I'm going to cheer for whatever team you tell me to cheer for. And I'm not going to know all the stats, but that's okay, right? It's about the community and the camaraderie. Um, and I will say I did grow up in Alabama. So if, if Alabama's playing, I'm, I have so many family members that graduated from there. And they usually win. I do like to win. So I'm probably going to pull for them, but I'm not going to be diehard. All right. I know, this is awkward enough in Georgia. All right, well, um, so we're in the book of Corinthians, and we're going to have an interesting time today. And if I were to tell you that I don't have a little bit of anxiety about teaching through this today, I would be lying to you. Um, and I think that's probably why Carmen was encouraging me, because I have been talking through this message quite a bit, because uh, I'm going to cover some content that I'm going to be can, can, I, can I just be honest with you? Can I? I? I have friends who are pastors, and they straight up tell me, skip it. Don't talk about it. If you're teaching through 1 Corinthians, do not cover these verses. Do not go through them. They're too controversial. People already know what they think, and they don't care what you have to say. And unfortunately, I was always the guy that was like, I can't do that, right? So when I was in uh, Bible college in Missouri, we had to sign this little covenant when we, were, when we went. And there were a few things in the covenant. One was that we wouldn't go to movie theaters, right? Now, for whatever reason, the school thought the boogeyman was at the movie theater, but not at the video rental store. And uh, so you could go to the video rental store and rent the same movies and go home and watch them, but you could not go to the movie theater. And so I would sign it. And then my professors and students would all talk about going to the movies and watching the movie. Like, they didn't care. They signed it and moved on. But I always was like, no, I can't do that. So I would wait until break, and then I would go to the dollar cinema, which was a thing that was really common back in the day. And they'd have all the movies from the last few months for a dollar. And, you know, I'd drag my wife, and we'd watch, you know, 12 movies over the course of a week so I could get caught up on the things that I, that I wanted to see. So I just have always been that kind of weird, quirky guy. Not, please, I'm not trying to make you think I'm perfect because I, I do screw up a lot. She didn't talk about that. Um, like the reason I'm cleaning up the, the dog's mess is because I forgot to take the dog out, right? So, so I'm not perfect. But I, 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 I have a difficult time like just intentionally bypassing and overstepping things, or if I've said I'm going to do something. So when we're going verse by verse, we're going to go verse by verse. And here's what I'm hoping today. I'm hoping that as we go through that today will be something that you will learn from, okay? So um, we are in a, in a book that is a letter, and we call it 1 Corinthians. It is not Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, and we know that just from inside of the letter, he makes the reference, hey, in my previous letter, right? So we know that he's written before. For whatever reason, God saw fit that those letters be lost, if it was one, two, or ten letters, right? These are the letters that we have. Um, we use this language, right, because, because Jesus is the good shepherd, right? And this idea or the, the, the way that shepherd breaks down is the pastor. So Jesus is the pastor of the church, right? This is why, like, I'm always going to lean into biblical tradition before I jump in and go, hey, we've been getting it wrong for 2,000 years. Because for me, I go, well, then that makes Jesus a really bad pastor, right? If Jesus has been leading the church for 2,000 years. Now, does that mean that every single building that calls itself a church is being obedient to Christ? Absolutely not. And so it, it's, it's not hard to reconcile when some faction of churches go rogue and they get reined back in when we look at scripture, theology, doctrine, interpretation as a whole, we should be able to look at that in a 2,000-year span and be able to get a pretty consistent standard understanding of scripture. And Paul uses that type of logic when he writes. And so that is the type of logic that I intentionally apply 
to Scripture, right? I'm intentionally using the logic that the New Testament authors used, right? And, and think about language like this, right? You've heard it said, or do you not know, right? What are they referencing? They're referencing previous writings. Why? Because they believe that the writings before them were authoritative, before they even knew that the writings the Holy Spirit was giving them would be authoritative. So let's read through 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning here in verse 1, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything." Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a, a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. I thank you for your word when it is difficult and when it is like sandpaper across our culture, across our understanding, our expectations. I thank you for when your word is reaffirming and encouraging. Lord, I thank you that your word is 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 a light unto our feet. May it lead and guide us. I pray that as we break down these scriptures, Father, that you know my heart to be faithful to, uh, to breaking these things down. Uh, I just pray that you would lead and guide the, uh, the message today and that our lives would be encouraged and transformed in your mighty name. Amen. So he, he's, he's coming off of a conversation in chapter 5 about judgment, and he is diving right back into it. Now, I, I will say that, you know, it's important to remember that we bring the chapters and the verses into the text, okay? This, this is not something that Paul added as he was going. So uh, it's a letter. So what we call chapter 5 and what we call chapter 6 are, are just the continuation of thoughts moving forward. And I think a lot of times we forget that, right? And especially because, you know, when we're bringing the Word, we're coming in on Sundays, and then we've got a whole week between us. And especially if we're not doing any additional studying, we can kind of separate thoughts. And so I want to kind of tether this together, go back to chapter 5 and the last couple of verses. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. And so there is an encouragement, right, 
that we are not to be looking out at the world around us and trying to bring condemnation to people who are not believers, but that we are to be holding one another accountable, all right? Now, he's talking specifically here about how we relate to people outside and then how we are going to relate to people within the church. Now, Paul writes as if he is trying to stay one step in front of their arguments. And, and, and this, is, this is what I talk about when I talk about the logic of the writers. Paul knows that as he is writing down uh, an, an idea or a thought, he, his mind seems to work in this way where he's like, I know I'm about to say this, and then this is going to be their rebuttal. So the immediate thing following this is to go ahead and just, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the rebuttal. Because instead, if I don't do that, if I don't go ahead and kind of nip their argument in the bud and just, you know, just get it done, what's going to happen is, is they're, they're going to then begin to discount what I'm trying to help them understand. And so that's, that's, that logic is what drives us through a lot of Paul's, right, really a, most of the New Testament when we're getting instruction, okay, is that it's this idea of uh, like, like the Holy Spirit knowing how our minds work, right? A, a really great illustration of this, right? Uh, God's going to give the Ten Commandments to Moses, and if you look at it in the Hebrew, he says, I want you to go up on the mountain and exist, right? That's a really weird translation. It's like, go up on the mountain and just be there, right? Why? Well, the, 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 what the rabbis would teach is that God understood that the way that Moses' mind worked, which I think is a lot like, like my mind would work, is like I would see getting to the top of the mountain as a task or a goal, and once I got up there, I'd immediately begin to put my mind towards how do I get down this mountain, right? I'd already be working on making a plan. And so God says, I want you to go up on the mountain, and I just want you to stop. Like you're just going to go there, and that's where you're going to be. And, and so, so, so th- there's this, the Holy Spirit does this really great thing about staying in front of our minds, right? And that's a lot of what's happening here. So he's talking about what's going on outside. He says, look, it's not for you to be going out among the unbelievers and telling them that they're sinners. They're sinners. Like, we get it, okay? And I tell my kids this all the time. It's like, like w- don't be surprised when a lost person acts lost, right? When a sinner sins, when somebody who doesn't know Jesus acts like they don't know Jesus. That's, that's the expectation. Now, when somebody says that they know Jesus, there's a different expectation. This is what Paul begins here in verse 6, and he says, so when one of you has grievances against another, so people within the church, does he dare go to law? And this phrase means that you go to the, the, the legal body outside to what? To decide or to properly distinguish. And who is it that they go to? They go before the unrighteous, right? So, Somebody does somebody wrong within the church, and the, the idea is, hey, we've got a legal system in place for this, and so I'm taking you to court, right? And so they go out, and they begin the process of a lawsuit, brother against brother, within the church body, and Paul says, why would you go to the unrighteous when you could, when you could settle it within the church body by going to those who are wise among you? Um, we'll break this down just a little bit here. In verse 2, he says, or do you not know that the saints, right, will judge the world, right? So saints, meaning those that are set apart for God. So those that have made a declaration that Jesus is Lord of my life, I'm going to serve him, I'm going to love him, right? And so as a believer, part of the faith is that one day we will rule and reign with Christ, okay? Now, this is part of the gospel, and, and, and there's this, this big, you know, argument online right now. Well, what is the gospel? Maybe you, you've seen it, maybe you haven't. And it's like, well, if Jesus says, I came to preach the gospel, then, you know, how could he come to preach his death, burial, and resurrection when he really didn't preach his death, burial, and resurrection? No, the, the gospel is this overarching hope, right, that you and I will be redeemed and that we will rule and reign as we were intended, created for, with him. So the gospel is, is, it it is, there's, it's, it's all, it all hinges on the cross, but it's way bigger than the cross. It is a hope and an eternal life. So Paul's using this language. He goes, do you not know, right, that you will rule and reign for eternity? Do you not, do you not understand that if, uh, that if, there is, if you're a child of God, that you're going to have authority, right? And what do you do, right? He says, 
he says here that you go to the world and you let them judge you. And then he says, are you incompetent? Right? And that's a harsh word in our language, right? Like if I go, are you incompetent? Right? Uh, just to give you a little bit of context here, it just, it means unworthy or inadequate. And specifically to do what? To try trivial cases, right? Do you have to go out there and allow the world's wisdom to dictate what you're going to do? Do you not have some people among you in community that you could go, you know what, I trust this leader in my church. Let's go and talk with the leader, right? And so he uses this language, trivial cases, and I just want to point that this gives us some insight as to the type of cases he's talking about, because what Paul is talking about and, and, and specifically when he talks about these lawsuits, these lawsuits were done uh, at, at this time, they were actually done in the marketplace, right? And they were for, they were also, it's like the people's court, right? It was entertainment. You show up and, and you would watch one person that would be filing a lawsuit against another and it'd be kind of a public spectacle. Um, he is not, he is not trying to make the argument that if there is some type of federal or capital offense that you keep it secret and handle it yourself, okay? So this isn't like somebody's murdered somebody, somebody's raped somebody. Like those are things that we bring the authorities into. He is very specifically talking about trivial things where it's like, hey, I hired this brother in Christ to come and paint this wall and said I'd give him $100 and he tore it down and I'm not giving them the money. And he says, no, 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 you told me to tear it down. And now I'm arguing. And instead of going to small claims court over it, right, go, be, go to, the, to the saints, go to believers and, and sort this thing out. Don't be the fools that show up to be entertainment for the lost. Okay. So, Verse 3, because do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life, right? So how will you have the rule of many if you can't work out differences among a few? And, and this really is, it builds, I think, off of what we would consider to be the wisdom of Solomon because Solomon is, is, is given to be the wisest man that ever lived. Why is that? Well, God said, hey, what is something that I can do for you? And he says, make me wise. And then the scripture says that wisdom is the one thing that if we ask, like we're all, we're all guaranteed to get, right? And we can go before the Lord, ask a lot of things. You should, you should be asking for healing. You should be asking God to move. You should be asking God to stir your heart in a way that your prayers are more aligned with the word of God. You can always pray for wisdom. And wisdom was an incredible, I mean, and uh, Solomon was an incredibly wise guy. Now, there's this story in 1 Kings where you have these two women, and uh, in the middle of the night, one of them rolls over on her baby who was in the bed with her and smothers the baby. The baby dies. She looks over. She sees this, uh, this other lady, right, because uh, they're sleeping in this giant space, and she has her baby. Her baby's alive. She takes, swaps the babies. The next morning, two moms wake up, and the, and the one mom says, hold on, this isn't my baby, and looks over and says, hey, you took my baby, right? Because a mother recognizes their child. And so this mother says, no, 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 no. This isn't your child. This is my baby. I'm sorry, your, your baby is dead. And so they're brought before Solomon and Solomon is listening to them. And he says, and I'll tell you what we're gonna do, go and get my sword. And so they go and they get his sword. And he says, lay the baby down. We're gonna cut the baby in half and you can each just have half of the baby. Now you might be thinking to yourself like, oh my gosh, that's terrifying, right? Well, the one woman who was the actual mother of the baby says, no, save the baby. I would rather the baby be raised by her than to die. And Solomon says, now we know who the mother is because the mother would not allow their baby to be killed. And so when we get to 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 28, listen to what it says here. It says, and all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice, right? So the wisdom of God in the leader to be able to do justice. So what is justice? And this is one of those hot topics, right? Uh, I get in trouble every time I talk about justice. Uh, so we just go back, we look at it here. It is to give judgment or to give a verdict, right? Now, when we are talking about biblical justice, we are talking about God's wisdom used to determine 
justice, or a judgment. And when we are talking about social justice, a hot word in our society, we are talking about society's wisdom used to determine justice. And this idea, social, is just relating to society, relating to the world. It is what is outside of the church. So Paul is saying, why would you go for justice outside among the unrighteous when you are more than capable because you have a God-given calling on your life to be able to deal with this and work it out. Go to the elders. Go to leaders in your church. I'm being careful not to say go to your pastor because I'm not trying to be the one that determines everything. I'm telling you that in this church, we are blessed to have some really wise men and women that are more than capable of sitting down with believers and helping them sort through things. And he says, Paul's talking like, like what, what, why are you doing this? Do you not want the justice of God, his wisdom, coming and speaking into your life? Verse 4, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church, right? So are you going to choose God's wisdom or society's wisdom? And what is this idea of no standing? It just meaning that they are despised, right? That, that outside of the church, they are seen as sinners, they are seen as lost, and you're going to go and let somebody that is lost and does not have the wisdom of God speak in and, and give rule over these trivial things over trivial things. Verse 5, I say this to your shame, right? So he's not saying this like in a way of trying to like build them up. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Because that's a whole nother issue. Like if you're, if you're in the church and you're sitting here going like, man, I really would go and meet with somebody, but everybody in my church is dumb and they... They're all like, like their idea of a Bible study is, you know, smoking some weed and drinking a six-pack. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I watched this video of this guy who's like, man, I love Jesus. Me and my friends, we get together and we smoke weed and read the Bible. And, and he's like, we even wrote a song. And, uh, and he goes, let's get high and read the Bible. Let's get high and read the Bible. Right, right, right. Wisdom of God, eh, maybe at some point. Right? They might, and I'm not trying to get into your weed argument. Like, I want the legalization of weed. I'm not trying to get into that. I'm just talking about biblical wisdom. Like, can you sit down while you're not high and be able to talk through things in a rational manner? Right? So what is this idea of shame? It is embarrassment. It is confusion. He says, I say this to your shame. He says, I say this. I'm embarrassed for you. I'm embarrassed for you that you have not matured as a body in such a way that you don't have leaders among you that you would go, you know what, Ugh, I don't like this. And I think if I go out there, they're going to do what I want them to do. But the right thing to do is to go and sit down with brothers and sisters in Christ who love me. And I'm going to submit to that authority. Verse 6, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Right? What does he say? He says suffering wrong or, or being defaulted would be better than going to the wisdom of the world to solve trivial issues among believers. Like the wisdom of God, here's some wisdom from God, right? It would be better for you to lose a little bit of money and not go to the clown show than it would be. As, as Christians than it would be for you to sit down and not get what it is that you want. And I'm not just talking this through from a hypothetical stance. I have walked through this. I used to own, when we started the church, we, we needed to be able to support our family. I owned an AV company. We installed technology in churches. We installed technology in homes. And I had a client who uh, came to me and very upset who had who was a Christian and said that they were not going to pay me and they said it was because I didn't do the job that I was supposed to do and I got home and it was a lot of money and I was really struggling with it because it greatly impacted our family and uh, I decided everybody all the counsel around me was take them to court take them to court you know put a lien on them take them to court you've got a contract instead I went to church elders and got them involved 
and found out that it wasn't that I hadn't done the job. That was the easy way of navigating it. It was that they had spent all the money and had no way to pay me. And uh, I ultimately made the decision, Carmen and I both did, we said, you know what? What we don't wanna do is take them to court and be the reason that there's a conversation in 20 years at a family meal on a Sunday where everyone's sitting around talking about, yeah, I don't go to church because that person's a crooked lying thief and I can't trust the church. I don't want to be a part of that conversation, right? I don't want to intentionally be a part of that conversation. Sometimes I step in it, but I don't want to be a part of that conversation. And let me tell you what, let me tell you what, God's walking through that and being defrauded and having to walk through that I'm going to tell you what, I would do it a thousand times over because you just cannot outdo the blessing and favor of God that comes back on your life. You just can't. You just can't. Verse 8, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So unfortunately, they are the ones doing wrong and defrauding believers, right? So not only not only are they not working things out internally and having difficult conversations and figuring out how to stay in community, they are the crooked ones taking advantage, right? And of who? This word brothers here uh, in, in, in the scripture, and I've talked about this, I think, last week, is a member of the same religious community, specifically Christian. So you are specifically not taking care of your, you know, I mean, defrauding your biological brother. You know what you're doing to other believers, right? So this is why it's shameful. This is why I'm embarrassed for you, because you call yourselves Christians, and you act like this. Now, now this is where it gets, this is where it gets really intense, right? Because he says, or do you not know, and this is that logic of his, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's That's a really, like, like, hey, listen, you shouldn't be going out there making a clown show of this thing. You should be working internally. You should be trusting God in these trivial matters, things that, that where, 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 you can, where you can handle it. You should be handling it. And when you don't and you act like this, you should remember this, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he breaks down a list of these things, right? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, a person willing to wrong a believer is among the unrighteous. That's the summary of what Paul is saying right here. He says, if you're willing to lie and deceive and hold up arguments that aren't true, if you're willing to defraud another believer, you need to understand something. You may look pious and victorious among a group of people that you convince to believe you, but you are held among the unrighteous. And so he lays out a list of those who are unrighteous. And it would be easy for me to just move on from this list, um, but I'm not going to. And so I'm going to give like a like a, a teaching moment inside of the sermon here, all right? So why is this list even mentioned, right? This is why. The normalizing of sin was prevalent. This is a church that was, quote-unquote, in their community, on fire for God. Things were hyping. They were, man, people were showing up. But one of the major reasons why this church was, was growing the way that it was growing is because they were normalizing sin and they were not preaching the gospel. And they were telling people, yeah, it's no big deal if you live this way, come on. It's no big deal. You don't have to make any major changes. It's going to be okay. So, so Paul is writing and saying, like, do you not remember? Like, we're talking about, so he's moving from, from this conversation in chapter 5 of incest. Basically, you know, you've got a son who's who's, you know, with his father's wife, okay, uh, and he says, y'all, y'all champion this thing, like, you're boasting, like, look at us, look at how accepting we are, like, we've got this guy in the church who's with his father's wife, and he's like, like, no, not even the pagans do that, like, like you are, you're acting, you're outside of their purview, like, they don't have many rules, but this is one of them, 
And he says, I mean, have you forgotten all of this thing, all these things? And so he's breaking back down the, 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 this using logic of Scripture. He's breaking back down and reminding them that this is unrighteousness. Now, I think that the majority of these we really get, but the one in our society that we wrestle with is this last one in verse 9, men who practice homosexuality. So this is, I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to teach on this. All right, so if you take notes, you might want to. Uh, uh, you might find some of this interesting. So I'm going to begin by making this statement. There are a lot of people who wrestle with undue shame because of their interactions with faith and sexuality. Okay? This is true. The church has historically not done a good job at teaching what the, the, what the, the context and what was intended inside of verses just like this. I believe that. Okay? All right? Now I'm going to break down for you what, what, the, what the Scripture is teaching. And my, my basis for where I'm going to go is not just like, well, this makes me feel good about myself, right? This is based off of 2,000 years of teaching and understanding. This is based off of very intelligent and godly scholars who have broken down the Greek, the Hebrew, and pulled all of these resources together. And this is the standing that the church historically has stood on. And then there have been moments where it has been mistaught. And we live in a season where it has been mistaught a little bit. And so there is some confusion and shame on it. So it is important that we get this right. Now, we read through the English Standard Version. And the reason that I choose the ESV to teach out of is because it is the only actively translated version of scripture, meaning that I think it's every two years, any new fragments, parchments, scrolls that are found around the world, they take those into account to make sure that there is a consistency in everything that's translated. So the ESV that you pull up today, right, it may just have one little word that's different in two years because they get a better understanding based on not just biblical, but also extra biblical context, all right? And I think that that's really important. And we are talking about, though, less than in all the scripture, we are talking about less than 1% difference. We are not talking about, like, these are major things. This is one of them, though, from translation to translation that has been mistranslated. And so if we go back to the New King James Version and we look at it, it translates here just saying, nor homosexuals. If you go back to the American Standard Version of 1995, it's going to say the same thing. The NIV has since made a change. It used to say this. Why does that matter? Here's what I'm going to say. When you're in the conversation around homosexuality, most translations have corrected the mistranslation. Even, so, so people make these arguments. Well, you know, it says homosexuals, right? And then they begin to break down why it's wrong. But most translations a long time ago, made corrections. And, and this is where those corrections were based out of, right? So most translations have corrected the issue. This word that is here in the Greek, uh, arsenokoite, and I do believe that's how you pronounce it, um, this is not a identity, it is an action. So it is the practice of homosexuality, a male engaged in same-sex relations, okay? All right. Track with me here. So this is an action just like the other sins that are listed in verses 9 and 10. There's a whole list there. They are not identity things. They are actions, right? So I am a, if I am an adulterer, I am actively engaged in adultery, sexual immorality, engaged in sexual immorality. And I'll explain why we know that to be the case. It's because of verse 11 in just a moment. So all right, so ESV uses this language, nor men who practice homosexuality, all right? This is what we're teaching out of. The argument that comes then if you go, well, the translations have been corrected. Yes, there was a problem. The argument that comes is, well, Jesus didn't have an issue, right? He didn't really talk about it. So if, if it really matters, why didn't he talk about it? I'll just remind you of something, and it's not comfortable to hear, but it is reality 
Jesus was more conservative in his interpretations than the rabbis of the day. Why does that matter? Because there was a teaching about, well, don't act on it, right? It doesn't really matter, though, what's going on inside. Just keep it inside. And Jesus said, no, I tell you that if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery, right? Jesus says he takes the line that's here and he brings it even tighter in, right? So, so the sexual immorality conversation, is a, it is a big thing, right? And I, I know I joke because it's like we teach verse by verse and sexual immorality seems to be in like every other verse for the last year. And um, uh, it, just, it just is a reality that when you're reading through Scripture, it is talked about so much, right? There is a really tight, narrow view on what sex is to look like in Scripture, now, this word in the Greek, okay, uh, arsenokoite, is only found twice. Now, this is another argument that gets made, and it's a fair argument. Paul uses it, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where we're at, and he uses it again in 1 Timothy 1, 10. And so the argument that gets made is that because we don't find this anywhere else in Scripture, okay, it's really difficult to know what is meant. And then there is the argument that goes to um, some older translations and says, look, the early church, and I'm just using early in quotations, the early church translated this word to be pedophile, uh, a man who sleeps with a boy. And uh, they say, so it's really not talking about the type of same-sex relationships we have today. This is the argument that's made. Now, here's the problem. That reference does go back to some early church writings. Um, most of them seem to be out of translations that are translated into, the Germ, into German and Norwegian writings, okay? And they did. Inside of those Bibles, they did use those words. Okay, this is, this is flawed and deceptive, right, to use a more modern translation as your source when there are older translations and access to original sources. By this I mean, yes, these are several hundred years old, and yes, they played a role in, probably played a role in how more modern translations continued forward. This is, so, you know, you meet people who are King James only, right? And, and I, I'm okay with that. Like, if you want to be King James only, I'm not here to slam the King James, all right? When the King James was translated, though, they had access to what they had access to. So parts of the King James are translated not from Hebrew and Greek, which are the original languages used, but from the Latin. So they're translated from a translation, right? And even then, this is what makes the Bible so mind-blowing, is that even being translated from a translation, it's still less than 1% difference in these translations, okay? But now we have the internet, we have communication, and we have access through research facilities to many original texts, some that go back as far as maybe even like just like 60 AD, so just decades after Christ's resurrection, okay? And so, so we have access to these things, and so the King James was, was, an, was a godsend, right? But it doesn't mean that we have to just be connected to it. So we can go and look at some of these ancient writings now like we couldn't before. Now, in the, in the, in the 40s, the RSV was the first Bible to use the word homosexual in it. And, and I've, I've heard uh, uh, others make the argument that, that we really don't know what the, what the heart was there, like how they came to that translation, why they said it, but they used the word as an identifier versus an action, as a noun versus a verb, and that is problematic, and it is problematic if we want to be fair to Scripture, okay? And I'll, I'm going to continue to explain why. But if we go back to the oldest translations coming out of Greek and Hebrew, and that would be the Latin, the Coptic, and the Syriac, they still translated, even in those first couple of hundred years, as men having sex with men. That was just what they translated it as. So it's, it's a little bit disingenuous to move forward a thousand years and go, see, this is how they translated it, when you really can go further back and see that this was, this was really the understanding of the words. Now, this word, arsen, arsenokoite, is a compound word. That's the best that scholars can come up with um, because arsen means man and koite means bed, and this is where we get the root for to 
have sex, to have intimacy. So the idea to bed somebody, it comes from that. So these two words are being put together. Now, remember that the New Testament is being written in Greek and that Jesus is often quoting from the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament translated into Greek. I hope you're tracking with me here. I'm trying to like, like make sure that my mind isn't a, a, a maze that you get lost in. So, the, so, so we, have an, we have a Greek translation of the Old Testament that Jesus quoted as well as the New Testament authors. So they didn't have a problem with translations, okay? They didn't just go straight Hebrew. They used Greek. Why? Well, the people spoke Greek. And so if we look at the Septuagint, right, which Paul often quoted directly out of, we find that in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, arson and koite are side by side, all right? We find both of them in the same verse. We also find them in the same verse in Leviticus 18, but we find them side by side in Leviticus 20. And this is why almost universally scholars around the world say this is what Paul had to be referencing when he used this word. And it is that if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. So I'm hoping that I'm breaking this down really clear. Paul's use here is about the about this action, not about what somebody is dealing with internally, right? And so the term homosexual is a poor translation for any word in Scripture. It, 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 there is, I mean, I have spent, I cannot tell you how much time I've spent on this over the years because I have friends, friends who have been in ministry with me that wrestle with same-sex attraction, and, and I have found myself the younger that I was, I found myself like being willing to ignore context in Scripture to make myself feel like, well, they're going to be okay, right, to just go out and live like this. But as I have become more dedicated to the Word, I realize there's, there really is a truth that we have to hold to here and that the, the actual translation should be the act of homosexuality, all right? This is, this is what Paul is talking about. Now, is Paul saying that if you've committed any of these sins, you are not saved? Right? So he's going through and he says, adulterer, right? Because that's, that's the language that we use, like, right? So somebody commits adultery and we forever, as human beings, will go, oh, they're an adulterer, right? Okay, we'll continue to use that. Paul is using these in the sense of, like, active sin, right? Actively living like this, right? When uh, Jesus is with the woman at the well, right? And, and he talks to her about, and you don't just have one husband, you've had many husbands, and the man you're with right now is, right? It's an active thing. You are actively in this sin. And this is why 11 is so important here for us, because this is what he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What does he mean here? Washed, that is that you were cleansed in baptism, all right? You need to be baptized if you're a believer. He says you were sanctified. What does that mean? That means that you were uh, uh, consecrated or you were made holy. So you changed the way you were living. You came to the, to the knowledge of Christ, and you said, I want to be baptized so that I'm in a community. They know that I'm a believer, and I'm not going to continue to act on these urges. It's called the flesh. Paul talks about the old man, right, and the old man wanting to, to constantly come back on him, and he has to throw that thing off, right? The idea being like, I cannot allow my sin nature to be my ruling nature. And then there, at that point, you were justified, right? You were rendered innocent, justified. God's wisdom brings innocence. The world's wisdom cancels you. The world's wisdom holds you accountable for 30 years, every social media post, every thought you've ever had. It's not good enough. I don't care that you've apologized. And listen, I'm telling you, that might feel like, why is he saying this? It is reality in our world. And God says, I don't care. Accept Jesus. You're forgiven. We're going to get this thing figured out. You were made for more. You have greater purpose. Come on, let's go, right? And the enemy goes, oh, but didn't you see their TikTok video from four years ago? God says, no, I don't watch TikTok. <laughs> I got better things to do. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, 
but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Something that's kind of interesting here, because this verse gets quoted a lot by people who are like, you don't get to tell me I can't do something. All things are lawful for me. It's actually out of context here. You see these little quotes that are around the phrase, all things are lawful for me? That's because when Paul's writing, he is quoting the church at Corinth. You are constantly saying all things are lawful for me. But, that's what he throws in, right? Which means however, okay? He says however, what is he saying? He says, he says not all things are helpful and I will not be dominated by anything. You say these things, but as a follower of Christ, I'm not going to be dominated, and I'm not going to engage in things that are not helpful, right? And using language like that is a manipulation. It's a manipulation, and it's what the world does. The world is good at manipulating, right? Right? I mean, I'm trying to think about we, we, we live in a world where, like, like the, we have governments that have laws, and then they find ways to kind of work around those laws by using different words, right? Okay? Uh, I had a, a, a friend of mine tell me that the IRS tax code is written by wealthy people so that they'll know how to manipulate it, right? And he's wealthy, Right? So it's written, and it's true, but you don't really understand the language in a way that lets you kind of skate through and, and, and maybe not be as affected by it, right? And, and this, is, this is the world. This is unrighteousness. This is, this is sin nature. Like, like, don't be surprised, right, when godless people act godless. But he's, Paul's talking about, like, here in the church, among believers, right? Like, you're saying this, but all you're doing is manipulating what is happening? And the idea being, I'm forgiven so I can do what I want. And Paul is saying that because I'm forgiven, I won't do what I want. Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He's, he's like, it's like, hey, food exists so that you can eat it. Right? And your stomach exists so that it can process food. That's just like common sense. I'm throwing something out. It's not rocket science. You don't have to have, you know, a big four-year, eight-year degree to understand this. Everybody in the room gets it. My stomach's hungry. I need to put food in it. That's why those things work in harmony. And he says, just like that was created that way, right? He says, we are the body of Christ, and we were created for a purpose. And this is it. Normalizing sexual sin diminishes our testimony. So, so maybe, maybe you engage in some type of behavior and you fall into this idea of, I can do all things, you know, I'm saved, right? But Paul says that it's not what you were created for, and therefore you're diminishing your testimony. You're diminishing the very thing that defeats the enemy, book of Revelation says that in the last days, right, the enemy is defeated by the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus on the cross, and the word of there, the saints' testimony. Your testimony, the blood's already been shed. The enemy's defeat is all hung up on your testimony. And if your testimony is, yeah, you know, I go to church, I love Jesus, but, you know, Ouija board, let's go. Let's see what Satan's got to say today, you know. And you laugh, but that's exactly what a lot of Christians are doing today, Right? bringing their stones to church and their little gyms. And it's like, hey, you know, I mean, it works for the Wiccans. Why can't I play a little bit with it too, right? We just call it Christian witchcraft. See how we did that? Jesus is all about it. And I'm not trying to, like, cast eternal judgment on you. That's not my job, thank God. But I can tell you it is foolishness, and God is not in it. And your testimony of, like, man, you know, God's okay with this, isn't introducing somebody to the true God. 
Verse 14, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall, then, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. What does members mean? Members, this is a bodily organ. This is not uh, a member at the country club, right? So I'm not trying to condemn you if you're a member at the country club, all right? But it's not the same type of membership, okay, right, this, he is saying, like, like, you're an organ, okay, like, remove the heart, remove other organs, the brain, there's some problems, right, okay, there's an issue with the body, so you play a very critical role, okay, all right, verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh, now, this word prostitute here is used four times in the New Testament, and I just want to point it out. Two of them, Hebrews 11.31 and James 2.25, are, uh, are referring to Rahab in the Old Testament. And for time's sake, I can't break this whole thing down. God redeemed her. But it is an idolater engaged in sexual immorality. So a, a prostitute in this context is somebody who has created some other type of God or they're engaged in some other type of like, like, like idolatry, whether it is something that they're conscious of or unconscious of, and it's tethered to what they do sexually with their bodies. And he says that these are not followers of Christ. So if you're engaging, right, living like this, then you are an idolater who is trying to be the heart of the body of Christ, like you're sitting there and you're supposed to be the thing that's beating the blood that moves through the body and keeps this body moving and you're also worshiping another God and doing whatever you want to do. And he says, do you not understand the blood becomes toxic, right? That at that point it's infecting everything. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And he, he, he begins to kind of summarize this thought up by saying flee from sexual immorality. Don't justify. He doesn't say justify sexual immorality. Come on, I, I, really, I, I, really, I, I really need us to get this, right? Like he says, flee from it. Flee from it. What does flee from it look like? I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, like, like whatever those doorways are that might be the ones you walk through to step into places where you're not in a healthy place, just run from them. Just run from them. And I get it, like, like, complacency, apathy, all those things can make it to where it's like, oh, man, I get tired of running, right? The, the, the world we live in, social media, uh, uh, you know, news, I mean, it's just constantly, I mean, you just, you just, you try to go onto YouTube and look up something with the news and thumbnails are wildly inappropriate as like clickbait to get you in and then listen to somebody tell you why you shouldn't objectify a woman, and you're thinking to yourself, like, you just objectified a woman to get somebody to click in here so that you could tell them not to. Like, like, it's madness in this world. And he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person, listen to this, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So, so Paul, Paul's, he's really wanting us to understand this, Right? Sexual sin makes the body the instrument of sin. The instrument of sin. Other sins, they operate differently. This sin, you become the instrument of sin. Okay? He referenced Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Why? Because when you are engaged in sexual immorality, you are becoming one flesh. And you are bringing that, you are grafting it into you, and you are then walking it right back into the body of Christ. Right? It's radically different than having a suitcase in your hand and coming and being like, everybody's like, what's in the suitcase? <laughs> this is all my sin. <laughs> I've been mean today, and I've lied, and I stole some paper clips from the office, and we're all like, yeah, put that uh, suitcase down and come on in. Right? This is the one place where it becomes grafted into your body. And he says, why would you bring that into Christ's body? 
So God created the body to serve him and used the body to create the union of man and woman. Sexual immorality removes the body from its purpose. God created you and God has a purpose for you. And he says that engaging in sexual immorality, that it removes you from that purpose. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. He is specifically talking to believers here, not to the people outside. He's been helping lay that argument out. He's like, hey, why would I go and take grievances I have with you to the people's court and make a clown show out of it? No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to talk with you. And we're going to sort this thing out. And I'm believing that God's wisdom will prevail just like when somebody takes advantage of you in a small contracting deal or in the sale of a vehicle or whatever that looks like, we're going to sort this thing out using God's wisdom. And now we're going to sort some other things out. You're normalizing sin and you're just letting anything go. And I am telling you, that is not what the body of Christ is to look like. And you can sit here and justify it all day long going, oh man, I'm saved. It's all good. What's God going to do? Kick me out. He goes, that's not even the, that's not the conversation. The conversation is you are just pouring poison into the testimony of the saints. And he ends, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In your body. Glorify. I love this. Render glorious. Render God glorious with your body. Some of you in here, have, you've wrestled with all types of things when it comes to sexual immorality. Some of you might be wrestling with some today. Here's the thing, verse 11, those are things we can put behind us. I'm not saying that it's easy. That's why there's the, you were washed, you were sanctified. They're not all blending together because we get baptized, we become believers, and then we step into the process of holiness where we find freedom from sin. And where do we do that? We do that right here. And we, we open up and we find people we can trust and we begin to power through finding a way not to act on our fleshly desires, but to act in a way that honors and renders God glorious. Let's stand to our feet. You may be saying, well, I don't know if I believe that. Your beliefs do not render God glorious. Your actions do. And the scripture is not about engaging you in a way that you just decide what you believe and what you don't. It's about giving you guidance in your beliefs so that you do the work of directing your actions. And as followers of Christ, guys, we work it out. We seek counsel. We do the hard work because it honors God. We don't just get mad and then run out the door and just jump to the next church. And I obviously can't make anybody do that, but I'm just telling you, like, that's just not the work of a saint. A saint just, we, we figured out. Now, there may be a place where you come in and you're in a church and you're like, man, this, is, this place is not serving God. Like, these people don't love Jesus, Right? I'm not saying they don't exist, but if you are called into a community, I cannot tell you how many people I have had tell me, God told me to come here. God told me, I walked through the doors, and God said, he spoke to me and said, this is the church I'm to be at. I cannot tell you how many people have said that to me, and a year later are ghosting my text messages. God changed his mind, right? God was like, gotcha, he's pulling a prank on you. Now, if you were in here and you were going to come up to me afterwards and say, Pastor Jim, man, God told me this is the place I got to be. I don't, I don't want to scare you away uh, from that. I'm just saying, like, like just remember, right, that, that there will be difficult things and there will be moments where conversations are needed. But we just do the hard work, right? It, I, my wife will tell you, like, I answer the phone and I sit down and I'll, I'll have coffee. I'll show up and have the difficult conversations, right? I'll do it. I'll do it over and over and over to my own detriment sometimes. Because I believe that's what God's called us to be. Come on. I just want to pray with you as we wrap up today. Uh, just bow your heads if you don't mind. Father, we just come to you right now. And uh, I, just am, I just want to pray, Lord, that, that your word would challenge us. That if, 
And if there are those in the room today who are at a place where they go, man, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus lives inside of me and, and, and that they have been justifying sin in their lives. Yes, there's a, a focus on sexual immorality, but there are a lot of other sins that are listed in here. Lord, if, if we're justifying those things, God, I pray for conviction today. I want conviction in my own life. I pray for conviction in the lives of those who are here today. I think about David and his prayer, Lord. You know everything about me, but even so, search me and see if there's anything that's wicked in me and transform me so that I can serve you in a way that's pleasing and everlasting. Our hope is in the eternal. Help us to walk in our purpose. We love you and praise you. Amen. If you do not know Jesus as Lord of your life today and you want to know Jesus, we want to pray with you. We have a prayer station at the back. Um, and, and just so you understand, the reason we do that is because of the size of our room. When music starts playing, the speakers get really loud, and it's hard to hear up here. It's not because we don't want you coming up to the front. I know that traditionally in a church, that's what you do. We want to be able to engage in conversation. So we have a prayer station at the back. If you want prayer for sin in your life, right, and you're saying, look, I, I want to be done with this, and, and I want somebody to pray, our elders will be available. If you are going through your sick in body, you've got friends, family that are in the hospital, or hurting right now and you want us to pray with you, we will pray with you over any of those things. Just make your way to the back. Hey, listen, we love you guys. Uh, I pray that you have a great week. Please share the gospel with somebody, right? Find somebody and, and step out of your comfort zone and begin the conversation about the hope that has transformed your life. In Jesus' name, we'll see you guys next week. Go change your world. Amen.